joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship Him now. How great and how awesome is He. And together we Glory. 
Amen. Give him praise this morning. He deserves it. Amen. You may be seated. Well, amen, and good to see you this morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Joel here at Faith Family, and glad that you have come today. And uh, we have a special group that is here uh, for Lucy as she follows the Lord in Believer's Baptism in a few moments. Uh, her family and friends are here, and uh, had an exciting time talking with her the other day. Janet and I went and visited with her, and it was just sweet and precious, and look forward to that in just a moment. Uh, we're also glad to have the Andersons with us this morning. Our missionaries in Thailand, uh, where, where, yeah, there you go, and uh, many of you financially support the work of them as they uh, uh, teach beyond in a Christian uh, school. He is the administrator there. Uh, you're a nurse there, is that right? You're the nurse for the school, so they, they are both serving in that capacity in uh, uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, and we are so glad to have you. I, I noticed that you had a drive-through graduation. That's interesting. And, you know, there were some who wanted us to have a drive-through Lord's Supper during COVID. And I was like, no, it's not the way it works, okay? You've got to get together. But, uh, but that's kind of interesting. Uh, I saw a little bit of it. Did it work well? Okay. Yeah, okay, all right, we'll, we'll work on that, we'll communicate. Uh, uh, seriously, the work that they do is kingdom building. God has called us to go with the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth, uh, winning people to faith in Jesus Christ and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you've got uh, $5 to go spend on a, a hamburger, let me encourage you to reconsider and consider supporting them uh, in the work that they do. And you'd be glad to talk to them afterwards, wouldn't you? Many of you are already doing that. And I want to encourage you to continue to do so and not forget them. And uh, uh, since they're on the other side of the world, occasionally it's easy to forget. And we don't want to do that. And Ben, it's good to see you too, brother. Uh, I want to just uh, share a couple of things with you. One, uh, and I'll show you uh, at the end of the service a picture, but uh, someone has approached Faith Family Fellowship about uh, the purchase of some property that uh, we own. It's the uh, most extreme property, and I'll show you a picture at the end of the service about that. And so uh, considering that, uh, we have a call business meeting for the 20th of this month. And uh, so you want to set that time as a time of prayer. And between now and then, next Sunday after the service is over, we'll have a question and answer time. Uh, so uh, if you will note that, come prepared for any questions you might have. And uh, we'll give that to you. We'll be sending something out to you this week to give you a few more details. Uh, but just kind of give you that uh, thought in your mind already. If you're new to Faith Family Fellowship, uh, there's a little card there in front of you. It looks a little bit like this. If you would take a moment and fill it out, and uh, then uh, the baskets, offering baskets are here at the back. So when you leave, if you drop it in, it gives us an opportunity uh, to uh, thank you for coming and maybe to get to know you a little bit. If there's anything we can help you with, uh, we would be glad to do that. I want us to pray, and then after that, Pastor Matthew will uh, 
Help us and one of the great privileges of a church to see someone confess Christ through believer's baptism. So, Father, we do thank you for this day. It is the Lord's day. It is the day that you've made, and we rejoice, and we're glad in it. And, Lord, you are building your kingdom around the earth. People are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, even this very moment. And what a joy it is to know that, even though we may not be able to see it uh, with our eyes. We know it because we hear the stories again and again of people coming to faith in Christ. Whether it be in Thailand or, uh, or Lord, whether it be in uh, Malawi or, or here in Spanish Fort. And so, Father, we, we thank you for Lucy Mundy's testimony of uh, her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross in his death, burial, and resurrection uh, to satisfy your demands of holiness on our sin. And Christ bore in his body all of our sin as he died on that tree. And thank you now for this witness. So help us to worship you as she follows you in this great and godly moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So as we've had several, several of these privileges recently to join together around baptism and recognizing the, the gift of God of changing us, forgiving our sins and changing us to be like him, uh, giving us life in his son, uh, Lucy Monday is been is coming down professing this faith that that she has trusted in Christ and has seen seen God at work in her life and uh, has has drawn her to to realize uh, her sin and her need of forgiveness before God and so you in coming forward and making this public profession of your faith you are you are professing that you have trusted in Christ for for life and forgiveness right yes okay so Lucy it is my privilege. Uh, to baptize you as my sister in Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to, to be buried in the likeness of Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's pray one more time as we, we continue in worship. Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you for this, this gift to see, to see you at work in people's lives, uh, to see you change people, bring, bring and transfer from the domain of death, from sin, into the, the domain, the kingdom of, of your beloved son, into the kingdom of light, into your family, Lord. And thank you for this privilege with Lucy to see that as she comes forward publicly to profess and to also request to be named as one of your own. We thank you and ask that God you would draw us into, into your kingdom this morning before you to see you clearly high and lifted up. For your name's sake, we pray as we all these things. Amen. Amen. If you would stand, let's go ahead and continue worship this morning. Jesus 
greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. We cry, holy, holy, holy. Worthy of 
all the praise we can ever bring. Worthy of every breath we can ever bring. We live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever save. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Thank you open up my eyes and 
This afternoon or this evening at five o'clock, uh, weather permitting or weather not permitting, I don't know. It's six o'clock. Where did I get five from? Six o'clock. Uh, six o'clock, we'll be having a, a kickball tournament and uh, hot dogs. Hot dog. I may be, bring my dog because he'll probably be hot out there, right? I see your wife fanning right now. Uh, the men of our church have. Uh, uh, come up with a way for us to gather together. We're starting to get things rolling again as a church body after COVID. And so we'll be over at the uh, elementary school, school just across the street. Uh, so if you can come, bring your chair with you and uh, enjoy uh, the time together as a body of believers. Um, did go visit with uh, Mary Lou, uh, Mary Lou, Anna Lou this morning uh, who fell and broke her hip. And uh, she's doing well. Surgery went successful. And uh, she just wanted me to let you know how much she appreciates you praying for her. And uh, uh, she doesn't know if she'll be going home yet or if they'll be taking her to a uh, physical therapy uh, facility. So uh, just continue to pray for them. Okay? You have a copy of God's Word. Let me invite you to the book of Second Peter, uh, chapter 3. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. And... Uh, Normally I put all the scriptures up there, but I've got about an hour and a half sermon that if I put it all up there, that means I can't cut it out, okay? So I'm going to be culling for those of you that are fishermen, you know what culling is, so uh, it's just too much good stuff here. It won't last that long, promise you. Some of you just passed out when I said that. Uh, it, it'll be uh, hopefully good for you. And, and let me just kind of say this. I'm going to be talking about a topic, uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I come from a position where I hold to a young earth view. And I realize that not everybody who calls Christ as their Lord and Savior holds to that. And uh, what I, I, I don't like doing is when people put gloves on and start fighting with one another over this. I, uh, uh, 
chancellor of the college that I went to uh, believed in uh, a theory called the gap theory, uh, which means between uh, Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 there were a gazillion years, and, uh, and I didn't agree with him then, and uh, he's in heaven, and so he knows that my way is the right way. Uh, <laughs> and see, I really don't want to get into that. I do want to share with you from this perspective some thoughts uh, for you to consider. Uh, because we are inundated with a, uh, not a, even a theistic evolution view, but a godless evolutionary view in the day in which we live, and so I want to share with you some things from Scripture and then just a few things uh, from science that you may not be aware of and uh, want to encourage you with some of that for you to kind of reconsider uh, what implications there are in uh, not holding to God being our actual creator and that there was a real Adam and there was a real Eve and there is a lineage that connects us that uh, doesn't have some of the, uh, the things that uh, a, a godless evolutionary thought process will lead us to. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning. So uh, that's the subject. The title I, I originally called it, Won't Get Fooled Again. And I was going to talk about the Who song and... A little bit of that, but uh, we won't get into that this morning. I've titled it, uh, Where is the Promise Coming? Because that's really the question that's on the table here. As Peter is, uh, has laid the foundation back in First Peter, and now he's come to say, people are saying, you're talking about the coming of the Lord, where is it? When's it going to happen? And... Uh, I can remember doing that when I was in uh, college and in seminary when it came to finals. When I would pray, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. And he didn't show up and I would say, when are you coming? Uh, bail me out. And uh, truthfully, most of the time when we think like that, it has a very selfish motivation behind it. Uh, so let me read the text uh, beginning in verse 1. And Peter says, now this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. This is something Peter does. Uh, he, he says, you need to remember. Um, it isn't all new information. It's remembering what you've already been taught as well. And remember that you should remember the predictions and that is the prophecies, as it were, the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. That's an appropriate thing for scoffers to do, right? <laughs> Uh, it really is scoff or scoff. And uh, so they will come with scoffing, following, here's their motivation here, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, our ancestors, all these things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But then notice, he shifts. Verse 5. For they... We're talking about 
those who are scoffing. They deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed existed was deluged. It's actually the word in the Greek for it was it was chaotic. There was a catacly- pardon me, cataclysmic. There was a cataclysmic event. And that's the Greek word that is there. It was uh, a deluged with water and it perished, but the same word, or by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up, that is in waiting, for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And I pray that the Lord would bless the reading of His Word. I want to give you just a short outline. It's just got three simple little points. Number one, verses 1 and 2 give us a sure word from God. He reminds us we have a sure word from God. We have a very certain word. Uh, Science is constantly changing. Uh, Medicine is changing. Culture is changing. Climate's changing. You're changing. Everything is changing constantly, but God's Word is sure and certain. It does not change. Number two, we'll look at in verses 3 through 5, a scoffing world. And uh, then number three, like it or not, a scorching warning in verses 6 and 7. So let's just go back real quick to a, a sure word. Again, in verses uh, 1 and 2, he says, I'm writing this to you, and I'm stirring up your sincere mind. Uh, The word sincere, and and yes, I I investigated it yet again. I've used this illustration multiple times over uh, my uh, 40-plus years of preaching. Uh, It actually comes from two Latin words, and uh, one is the word without, and the other is the word wax. It, it the word sincere means without wax. It has the idea of holding something to the sun, and it goes back to ancient days in which craftsmen, when maybe they were making something out of marble, and there was a break in it, there was a notch in it, instead of casting it aside and doing it all over again, Uh, they would fill it in with wax. And you could look at it, and by the appearance of the eye, you couldn't tell that that particular piece was marred in any way. And so the value of it would not be affected. But as was commonplace in the ancient Roman world and the ancient Greek world, they were taught to find the flaws by holding it up to the sun and seeing you, when you held it to the sun, you could tell where the flaws were. You could tell they had filled it with wax. And so when we talk about having a sincere mind and we say it's without wax, we're talking about it is true. And what we know is the Word of God is reminding us the Scripture is always truthful. Jesus said, sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is truthful truth. He didn't simply say it is true, but he says it is truth. We're living in a day which absolute truth is uh, 
uh, it's, it's blasé. People do not hold to it. They don't believe in absolute truth. Truth is constantly changing. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but I like, I like to know that if I, if I take a brick and I drop it, it's not going up. It's not going sideways. It's going down. There are some things that you and I are, uh, love, the fact that it is true always. And so when we come to the Word of God, it is true. So when it comes to God's Word, I want us to see just a couple of things. Number one, it helps us correct our thinking. It, it takes the wax out, as it were. It makes us to know what is true and what is false. That's what the Word of God does for us. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul was talking to the elders at the church at Ephesus, he said, be on the alert and remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you, every one of you, with tears. And so I commend to you to God and to the word of his grace. So hear what Paul is saying. I'm commending you to the word of God. And in doing so, what I'm doing, I'm admonishing you. And it's a, it's a word that some of you may be familiar with because we have the term uh, neuthetic counseling. And neuthetic means to think through something. It is to get the truth laid out for you so that you think through rightly and correctly. And what Paul is getting back to is if you really want to know what truth is, you need to know what the Word of God has to say. It is an eternal Word. God's Word corrects our thinking. It completes God's will. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Don't think I've come to abolish the law. I didn't come to get rid of the law. I came to fulfill the law. And I say this to you, Heaven and earth will not pass away. Not one dot of it not one iota of it will pass away until all the word of God is accomplished God says about his word everything I say in my word is going to happen and so that's what Peter is saying if the Lord says he's going to return what can you be assured of according to an eternal word of God you can be certain that God is going to do that he's coming back is what he says. Uh, Isaiah 55 uh, verses 10 and 11 tells us that when God's word comes out of his mouth, it will not return unto him empty or void, but it will do what? It will accomplish everything that he sent it to accomplish. And you see what all that is saying is when you and I look at the world and think the world is out of control... You and I can have a certainty that God has got everything under control. And that, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. That's exciting to me to know that when I look at the world in which you and I live, it, I'm not sure bricks go down sometimes. You know, every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And people are saying that which was once good is now bad, and that which was bad is now good and you and I get very confused if we listen to the cultural changes that are going on around us and those that are in high places and in academia are telling us those same kind of things we don't know what to do where do we turn we turn to a certain 
and sure word from God that is settled and it will accomplish what God intends for it to say. And notice lastly, it continues unto eternity. It continues unto eternity. Isaiah put it this way, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now I realize you may be sitting in here today and saying, I'm not sure I buy into that. Well, that's why Peter said, I need to remind you of this. This is not new to you. This is where our fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandmothers and great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers have been taught. This is our heritage to know that our ancestors have believed the Word of God. And they, were, they knew that it was true. My wife and I have uh, a great privilege to be able to observe, have, have had the privilege of observing her grandmother's life and seeing that her life was lived according to the Word of God. And she lived like a, like a flower in the desert. When desert times come, came in her life, when the uh, dry winds blew hard and they did in her life, and loss of child, and loss of marriage, and, and difficulties, and hardships that she went through. She stood tall like a blooming plant, producing fruit in her life, like streams in the desert, because she experienced the Word of God being true in her life. Young people, listen. The Word of God is true. Not everything the world system says is true. As a matter of fact, most of it is not true. I've lived long enough, and some of you have lived long enough to know that what we thought was true 20 years ago, the culture says today, it's not true. It's not right. This is what you ought to do. I love what my dad said when I came to buy my first car. He said to me, I was like, I don't know what car to buy, and this is what my, my wise father said to me. He's not here to defend himself, but I'm going to say it. He said, son, you're going to be in debt the rest of your life. Go ahead and buy whatever you want. <laughs> now, is that saged wisdom? Absolutely not. Does God say that? No. He says, oh, no man anything except love. And good deeds. That's what we're to do. That's, we're not to go into debt. And that's what my dad taught me. It was right when I was 18 years of age, wasn't it? Well, my dad said it was. And my loving father wouldn't lie to me, would he? Well, he believed it. Was he right? He was wrong. And you see, we have to, we have to assess the things that are being taught to us by what the truth has to reveal to our hearts. And God's Word will continue for all eternity. So there's a certain word that we have, and I could, st I could spend the whole uh, time we have together on that. But number two, I want us to look at the scoffing world. The scoffing world. Knowing this, verse 3 says, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. Now, when are the last days? Well, the last days have actually existed since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven we've been living in the last days 
And uh, what have they been saying, verse 4? They've been saying, where is the promise of his coming? And then they look to the ancestors, the fathers who have fallen asleep. That's a euphemism for death. And it's true for the believer. Uh, For the child of God to die is simply like falling asleep. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so it, it, it's simple and it's clear. But he says, but, but they, we have believed, or the scoffer says, all things can continue as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, we can have a certainty that everything that is now existed in the same way that it once existed. I remember when I was in college, there was a theory that had been promoted by a Russian scientist of the platonic plates on our earth had shifted at some point in history. That once there was a gigantic uh, uh, continent in which all the land masses were gathered together and something cataclysmic happened on the planet and it was broken into parts. And the different continents we know today shifted across the planet. And all of a sudden, we have what we know today. And I remember the scientists of that day going, that is the most absolutely absurd thing you can imagine. Well, guess what scientists believe today? They believe that Russian scientist was right. And they look at it. And so we wonder, how in the world do we have uh, ocean sediments up in the Rocky Mountains? Because of this cataclysmic event that must have taken place. You see scoffers come along and say, no, uh, it's always been just like this. And God's word is saying, no, things don't exist like they, uh, n- like they are now. They haven't always existed that way. I can remember when people would come along and say, well, Christians don't believe in, in dinosaurs. Well, guess what? This one does. I believe they existed. There's a fossil record that it was there. But do you believe they existed at the same time with man? Well, yeah, I believe it. The reason why I believe it is because I walked through the Paluxy River uh, southwest of uh, uh, Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, while Janet and I, we were young at the time, just newly married, and we were walking through that uh, riverbed, and there were dinosaur tracks in that riverbed. And you know what was right in the middle of one of those dinosaur tracks? I saw it. And it wasn't like somebody went in and chiseled it. It was smooth like everything else was. There was a human footprint right in the middle of it. Now, I've got to confess to you, it wasn't a human footprint. And my wife thinks my size 12 shoes are really big. But I can tell you what, these were about that big. It was really overwhelming. And I've seen it with my eyes. But not only that, I know that God's Word says that uh, God created everything. And in the beginning, God made man. And when God made man, you know who he made? He made Adam and he made Eve. They're not mythical creatures that uh, you and I look back to and say, well, maybe that happened. But the scoffing world says, "Mm, we don't believe uh, that's the way it ex- exists. Well, let me, no- let me just point out a couple of things. Number one, notice their mef- method. Their method is scoffing and mocking. Now, Proverbs 3.34 says, 
Though he scoffs at the scoffers, being God, though God scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. Those who are humble, he gives grace to. But what does the God creator do with those who scoff at what God has said and what God has done? God, chapter 2, the second uh, psalm says, God holds them in derision who scoff at him. God in heaven laughs at those who say, where is he? God does that. You see, our, our wise response to scoffers should be what Proverbs chapter 9 and verses 7 and 8 say. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves a wicked, a wicked man gets insults for himself. But do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. And what, do you what, what do you think God is trying to teach us there? You can't, you can't convince people of their unbel- in their unbelief. Do you know who is the only one that can convince someone in their unbelief? That's God himself. It is the Holy Spirit of God. I can remember as a young believer, I used to argue with people. And when I say argue, I liked arguing back in those days. And I would argue with people about my faith. And I would say, oh, you know, you got to believe like... And then it finally dawned on me, I can't convince anybody. I have a hard enough time convincing myself. Okay? But, it, but a holy God nails us to the wall, as it were, by His Word... And God says he breathed this world into being. He breathed into Adam the breath of life. And Adam became a living soul. And so scoffers scoff. That is their method. But what's their motive? Look back in the, at verse again. Uh, back in verse 5. It says um, their motive is so that their own desire... Self- their own sinful desires. The word desires there is passions. They want everybody to uh, fall in love with them. Like what they say. Be impressed by their great intelligence. And uh, uh, there is a denial in that of all accountability is what it is. They did not believe and scoffers today do not believe Jesus came in his first coming. And therefore, Peter says, they don't believe he's coming in his second coming. You see, to accept a second coming of Jesus Christ is to believe there must be an accountability. There's going to be a reckoning in my life of what I have done, what I have said, and most importantly, what I have done with the gift of God's Son, Jesus Christ, as a gift of grace to a world. And if I have said no to his first coming, I must therefore say no to his second coming. If I say yes to his second coming, then I must accept his first coming. And it all has to deal with my sin. And I refused to acknowledge that I have sin in my life. And you see, that's what the scoffer is saying. The scoffer is saying, I refuse to accept your religious faith because in that it requires an accountability of my life to a holy and perfect God. 
But notice thirdly, their manner. It says they deliberately overlooked this fact. And, and Peter uses the word fact. Peter didn't use the word theory. Okay? He said this truth that we hold to that the Word of God proclaims beginning in the book of Genesis that is so clearly identified in the book of Job. By the way, book of Job has probably more about the creation of the world than the book of Genesis does. If you've not read that, uh, do so. Uh, but uh, uh, he, he says uh, people have to deliberately say, I don't believe what the Bible says. Now I want to remind you, and this is where I got the idea of won't be fooled again. Let me remind you of what Psalm 14.1 says. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now that's not me saying that. There's not a bigger fool on the earth than myself. When P.T. Barnum said, there's a fool born every day, he was talking about me. I've done some of the dumbest things in my life. I know I've told you about the time that I, 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 like, I like water with gas. That is uh, mineral water that's got fuzzy in it. And I laid one of those bottles of... Uh, it wasn't Perrier, I don't remember what it was, down in the refrigerator, and the water froze in the neck of that bottle, you know? And so I got it out, and I couldn't get my water out of the bottle. And so in my brilliant mind, I think, if I just put my warm hands around that uh, uh, neck on that bottle, it, it will do what, kids? What will it do? It'll melt the water. And when the, I melt the water in that neck, I'll be able to pour out my drink. So I'm standing there... I want you to get this picture, okay? I'm standing there over the top of that bottle of water trying to, to get the, the, the plug of ice that's in that uh, neck to, to melt, and I hear it start fizzing, and I'm getting really interested in it. Well, guess what it does? Man, it goes off like a rocket. Hits me right here. Oh, I'm so, if it had been an inch this way, an inch that way, I'd be blind in that eye today. Is there a bigger fool than me? Yeah, there is. It's the fool who says, there is no God. And God's the one that declares that. I'm not the one standing up here and calling other people fools. It's God himself that says, I made you and created you. And I've put, as Ecclesiastes says in chapter 3, I have put eternity into the hearts of men. That means every human being knows in the depth of their soul that God really exists. And in order to say God doesn't exist, I have to intentionally say no to God. I have to consciously say no. I don't believe it. Uh, this statement has been attributed to Mark Twain and Abraham Lincoln and some others. Uh, the statement is, better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That didn't, that didn't begin with either of those two men. Do you know where it began? Proverbs 17, 28 says this, Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. You see, when we say there is no God, do you know what we're actually revealing? We're actually revealing that we are fools. Fools. You see, their means, number three, is they continually hold down 
the truth. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 says, The wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, where did that happen? That happened on the cross. We, we see it in life, yes, but it happened on the cross of Calvary. It, does God hate sin? Yes. How do I know it? When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup, what cup? The cup of the sin of humanity and the wrath of a holy God on our sin. Jesus who bore our sin in his body on the tree. It reveals that God is against ungodliness and unrighteousness. But that verse goes on to say, Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They hold it down. They have to consciously say, I do not believe what it says. George Washington Carver uh, was one of the great minds uh, that, uh, that really has existed on our, or on our planet. You know that at Tuskegee Institute and out here in Alabama that uh, he came into Alabama to help us in a time when uh, 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 cotton crops were failing and the economy of Alabama was, was cr crashing. And uh, we know him as the great scientist of what? Peanuts, okay? And he learned how to make clothes out of peanuts. He learned how to make gasoline out of peanuts. He learned how to make peanut butter out of, I mean, not peanut butter out of peanuts, but he learned to do a lot of things with peanuts. But what was so interesting about George Washington Carver was he was a believer in a God who made and created everything. I read his biography and it said about him, before he would go into the laboratory every day, he would pray and he would say this, God, you have made it all. You have put it all together and you know exactly how it works. And I, as your child, am asking you to reveal that to me today in this laboratory. I think that's the way every scientist ought to come in seeking knowledge and in truth. George Washington Carver was what, that kind of man who did not suppress the truth in his ungodliness but came to say this is what I believe. Uh, there's some science fiction that goes on a lot today in what we call science. There really is and I, I'm, no, I'm no scientist. I, I'm not the best uh, uh, at, at doing what I do, let alone proclaim to be a scientist. But I did a lot of reading over the last few weeks in preparation for this. I, I read some scholarly uh, papers, believe it or not. I came across a scholarly paper from uh, Cornell University, and it was talking about radiocarbon dating because a lot of what you and I have been taught is based on a carbon dating of items. And as I was reading it, it was interesting that out of this scholarly environment at Cornell University, they came to say that uh, carbon dating is probably at its best only accurate for a few thousand years. A few thousand years. Beyond that, quote, it is unreliable. It is unreliable. And by the way, when it comes to radiocarbon dating, kids, that's the way, uh, one of the ways that we can test how old something is. And, uh, 
And when it comes to that, to do radiocarbon dating, you can't radiocarbon date a rock. Did you know that? It has to have been alive. So everything that is dated by this way of dating must have been alive at one time. And what are the scientists telling us? In order to date it, how far back can you go and be certain that it's probably true? Just a few thousand years. And so when I begin to think about the reasonable facts that you and I hold to, do you you realize when it comes to recorded history, how old is recorded history? Do you know? It's somewhere between five and at the most liberal, 8,000 years. That means everything that you and I know about civilization only goes back a very short period of time. You say, well, do you actually believe that? Well, I do. And if you don't, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you. I do, and the reason why I do is because the biblical record of man is short, And it appears to me that the scientific record of man is short. So I thought, well, I better look up about Neanderthals. Y'all know what Neanderthals are, right? They're supposedly our ancestors, right? Uh, They're they're somewhat ape-like as well as human-like. And and so uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of this. There are less than 200 fossil records of Neanderthals. There are. And most of those are fragments. And we have one somewhat close skeletal skeletal Neanderthal. And so I looked at the picture of it. And while I was looking at it at the uh, British Museum's website, it said the arms and the chest cavity are that of a human being. And so what you've got is you've got these short legs and you've got these long arms. A big chest and a short torso that are put together. And as I began reading about the article, it said the Neanderthal bones apparently are less than 20 years of age. How young can they be? They can be as young as 8 years of age. Now I'm not saying this is what happened. But I'm saying it's as, it's as reasonable as the other is, is that what we've done, we've taken a human adult body, torso, up, and we put it on a child's pelvic and leg area and put a little head on top of it. And yet, this is what helps us to come to a conclusion as a society and a culture and a whole scientific a world to say that It's very old. One of the greatest Neanderthal discoveries that have ever taken place was in uh, outside of Rome. It's in Italy. And there's something very unusual about it. I challenge you to go look it up, okay? Do you know what they found with these Neanderthal discoveries? There are eight different uh, specimens that are in this. Do you know what other bones are in that uh, with them? They're elephants. There are rhinoceros. This is Italy, okay? And there are hyena bones that are in there with them. And I can't but help ask the question, does this fit the evolutionary tale 
that the scientific world tells me is absolutely true. I think as a reasonable, reasonable person, it doesn't fit. And you know what they say if it doesn't fit. Many of you are not old enough to know what I'm talking about. You must have quit, okay? If it doesn't fit, you must have quit. You've got to ask the question, is this really real? Well, what does it matter? I, I think it matters to be able to say that God made man in the way that the Scripture says God made man. You see, the reality of a godless evolutionary process is my ancestors were not the Neanderthals. My ancestors, your ancestors, were some kind of enzyme in a primordial soup out somewhere in space that somehow got together. I don't know about you, but when I go to a scum pond, I don't look at it and think, that scum is going to figure out how to come together and make a tadpole. When I was in high school, that is exactly what my biology class taught. My biology class taught that this scum in the water one day decided it was going to become a frog-like creature. And then one day this frog-like creature decided it wanted to walk on land. And so it, over a period of millions of years, believed that it wanted to live on land. And so guess what it did? It came out of the water. It somehow developed not gills anymore, but now lungs. You and I have been taught that so much that it sounds like, well, that, that's the way it works. Do you realize how mythical that is? Do you see how science fiction-like that that is? That is not something you and I can observe, is it? Somebody says, I, don't, I didn't observe Jesus Christ rising from the dead. Neither did you observe some kind of creature coming out of the water and begin walking on the planet. You cannot do that. It, is, it takes far more faith to believe in a godless evolution to get to where we are it seems so reasonable that thinking people who are made and created in the image of God get together and they they have children together and guess what they have they have human beings that come out of them I see it today it's observable every day it is very reasonable to think that is the way it is and so I want to suggest to you that that is true. However, i got to say this, you and I could try and prove it, and if we could prove it, it still would not convince the scoffing world. We cannot convince the scoffing world because, you see, coming to faith in Jesus Christ requires two things, repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It requires you coming to say, you know what, I don't understand it all. You may believe in an old earth. It may be billions of years old to you, but you've still got to come to a place when you recognize that God is real and what He says is true. And my life does not match up with the holiness of God as revealed in His Word. 
And because of that, it makes me a sinner separated from the God who made made me and created me and longs to have me for all eternity. But God sent His only Son to die on a cross for my sin that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. I told you I had an hour and a half sermon. I'm getting to point three now. I'm going to quit, okay? But let me just kind of conclude with this. I, I called it a scorching warning. Because Peter says, he refers back to the flood, doesn't he? He refers back to the flood, and as we've already looked at, what was the flood for? It was judgment on sin. And yet after God judged the sin of mankind, what did he give us as a promise of his covenant? Remember what it was? Kids, what was it? A rainbow. Thank you. And that rainbow, every time you see it, what does it say? It's God's promise to say to you, I will never again judge the world with fire. But what does God reveal to us here in Second Peter? There is a judgment coming, and it's a judgment of fire. They have been stored up, verse 7 says, for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Well, I don't really want to hear that. Well, if it's true, we need to hear it. There is still a judgment coming, and it's a judgment of fire. I want to be a good steward. I recycle. I drive a Prius. I'm a liberal, aren't I? I mean, I'm about as liberal as you can get when I do that. I wear blue jeans as often as I can because on the inside of it, it says wear them at least five days before you go wash them. You know, I don't want to waste anything. Preacher, that's why you smell like you do. (laughs) But I don't get a whole lot upset about global warming as maybe some others do because God says that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. There's a fire coming. There's a judgment coming. Jude 5 puts it this way. I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. There's a promised day of judgment coming. And those who refuse the Son of God will stand in rebellion against their Creator, their Lord, and their Savior. Revelation 20, and I'm, I'm at the end, okay? Revelation 20, 11 through 15. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book. These are the books that judges our lives, what we have done. But there's another book that is open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's the lake of fire. And if any man's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire of lake. You're trying to scare me this morning. No, I'm not. If you get scared into heaven, you're not going to heaven. 
Okay? That's not the way people get to heaven. We are loved into heaven. There is a God who loves us and extends grace to us so that our name is written to everyone who confesses faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and comes to acknowledge their sin before God and say, Oh God, you are worthy of my life. To that one, their name is written in the book of life and your life is not judged out of the books. Your life was judged on the cross of Calvary. My sin is forgiven. And in the eyes of God, it's forgotten. They've been cast as far as the east is from the west. And they will be remembered no more. Praise God. Amen. I hope and pray today that you have come to understand that Christ bore your sin on the cross of Calvary and that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Today is a day to turn to the Lord and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a day to call out others to come follow Jesus Christ. It's a day to be watchful and not distracted by the, what the world system is saying to us. For us to remember, it has been said before, long before you and I ever came on this planet, it has been said that God is a God of holiness, but a God of love and grace and mercy who redeems people unto himself. It is a day for us to be prayerful and engaging with the world in which we live. Let me close with this verse. For he who says, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, For he who says in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. You see, God is willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I want to ask you, have you done what little Lucy did? Lucy, what a great testimony. What a great story. To come to say, yeah, I'm not, you know, even as a child, I'm not what I should be, but I have a Savior who loves me and died on the cross for me. And all he's asked me to do is come yield my life to him and let him be my Savior, my Lord, to follow him all the days of my life, no matter what the world may say. And you're born again of the Spirit of God. You're here for now and for all eternity. And I want to ask you, is that you? Have you become discouraged in the midst of our world when the fool has said there is no God? You don't have to be discouraged because God is God, you know. I remember when I was a kid and I'd say, you know, when somebody would say, I'm going to beat you up. And I'd say, well, I got three older brothers. Well, I, I don't believe your brothers can beat me up. I didn't care if they believed it or not. My brothers could beat them up. I don't have to defend God before a world because God is great. And he is greatly to be, to be praised. All you and I have to do is share him. And trust God to fight the battle. Let's bow together in prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And, and in just a moment, uh, we're going to ask you, if Christ has spoken to your heart, and you would like to declare Him as Lord and Savior of your life, uh, we invite you to come in that way to say, Today I am trusting Jesus. And Jesus alone to save me from my sin. Pastor Matthew and I will here, be here for 
uh, moment. It won't, we won't be long at this moment. So if God is speaking to your heart, step out and come. This is the day of salvation. And so, Father, we do ask that in this moment of time that you would help people, boys, girls, teenagers, adults, to come to say, I don't, I don't believe what the world says. I don't believe that you don't exist because I've got a certain word. It's come from an eternal God, the God who made and created this world. And I believe what your word says. And there's something inside of me that says, yield to the God who made you and loves you and sent his son to die for you and to rise from the dead for you that you might have life eternal through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song that says, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I'm coming to Christ. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and